Hello and welcome to Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresseth, and today I'm joined by the Fixed Ops Director for the Walker Automotive Group out of Louisiana, uh, Todd McCallum. How you doing, Todd? Casey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. So, uh, you you and I know each other through Primaco because you were uh, one of our best customers for years and years and years uh, with the LaFontaine Automotive Group in in the Metro Detroit market. And um, man, you've 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 been in charge of a of a quite a few different dealerships since we've met uh, years ago. Yeah, it, it just seems like yesterday, Casey, but uh, yeah, I was up in Michigan with LaFontaine for 10 years. and I've uh, been down here with uh, with Walker, uh, believe it or not, o- over four years. I, I do not miss the snow. <laughs> I don't blame you there. Although this time of year is a little brutal. The the heat and humidity there is, is a different level. Oh, for, for sure. It's uh, the heat index is, is well over a hundred every day this week. Oh boy. Now, if uh, for some of you guys, if you've been around BG a little while and you've been to some of the zone meetings, Todd McCallum might sound familiar to you. It's actually, Todd was actually a guest speaker at our zone meeting in Detroit um, years ago, probably would have been 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Was you remember what year that was? Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds about right. And that was, uh, uh, the, an honor to, to be invited and a, and a pleasure meeting, uh, everyone involved with BG. Absolutely. So, um, can you kind of give me like a, uh, an overview of your career? Cause you're a lifelong dealership guy. Am I right? I just turned 50 last year. So I've been doing this uh, a little over 30 years. I started out, uh, you know, Casey in high school working at a local auto parts service chain in Michigan called Action Auto. Uh, they, they went out of business, I think, in the late 80s. You know, got my first uh, service advisor job at a dealership right after that. And then, uh, you know, working my way up. Uh, a big opportunity for me is when Saturn came along. Uh, I was with uh, a Saturn dealership for the really the first five years of my career. And, and I have to uh, give a lot of credit to the way they trained you. You know, the Saturn was all about the, the culture and taking care of your customer. If you take care of the employee, we'll, we'll make it simple. So that's, that, that's kind of stuck with me through my entire career is just, let's just boil it down. If we can take care of our customer, take care of our employees, we'll, we'll figure out the rest. Um, from there, moved to the uh, Fox Auto Group out of Rochester Hills, worked for a, a couple fantastic gentlemen, um, Bill and John Fox, it's a, a father and son, beautiful area in Rochester, uh, Chevrolet dealership, uh, Toyota Volkswagen, was there probably 12, 13 years. And then from there, uh, uh, moved up to LaFontaine and when I left LaFontaine to uh, relocate down south, uh, we had 16 dealerships, a couple of the largest service drives uh, in Michigan uh, with our uh, Cadillac Buick GMC out of uh, out of Highland, Michigan. What was always cool is we'd, we'd kid people. People are like, Highland where? Highland, Michigan? Never heard of it. But 
You know, that was a place <laughs> that would run 250 cars through a day. They were selling, you know, five, 6,000 cars a year. And, uh, you know, just decided, you know what? Kids have graduated. They're, they're off in college. Let's go on an adventure and, uh, you know, get you get worn out of the snow and cold. And you know what? Wound up here in Louisiana working for a great family-owned dealership. You know, the, what I've learned about the South, everything you hear as far as the Southern hospitality, things are a little slower paced. Doesn't mean they expect less results. But uh, just in dealing with customers, employees, I actually had to train myself to, to slow down a little bit. That's probably my biggest adjustment here in, uh, in coming down south. Huh. So that's interesting. I, I think I kind of experienced that on a level two, like moving from Michigan to Kansas. Uh, my wife and I both noticed that uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's fair to say that people are are nicer, but there's just a little, uh, it has kind of an aura of, of hospitality and, and welcomeness further South that I, I think is maybe lacking a little bit in the Northern States. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, and it's genuine, but I, I think it's the culture down here of, uh, just to take your time a little bit. Cause, uh, I'll never forget my first couple months. People are like, wow, you're always in a hurry. You know, so I was taking that Metro Detroit mentality and having to, you know, move at a certain pace. And uh, yeah, no, I had to self-reflect a little bit, slow myself down just so I could communicate better with our uh, employees and customers. And the, the results speak for themselves right now. Awesome. It's, it's funny you bring up Saturn because, uh, I, I don't know that that's something that I've ever thought about before, but there's something to be said about how many like really solid uh, service managers and directors and stuff came from Saturn originally. I know that there's, you know, throughout my career, a lot of my best managers at one point were, were Saturn managers and involved in those dealerships. And I know when, you know, when they were, when they were open and, and healthy, those Saturn stores, man, they were some of the best accounts to have. Oh, oh, they were. I mean, Saturn focused on take care of the customer. They, they weren't, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, 25 years. Before we can take care of a customer, we have to, you know, search this bulletin, search this special policy, do this, do that. Where Saturn was just like, hey, man, just take care of them. Send us the bill. So it's, it's unfortunate that the product got stale uh, because the, their, their culture, the way they were set up was, was for so much success. Because if you just took care of the customer, you know what? The, the details will take care of themselves. So that's a good question to start out with. Um, you know, anybody who's spent a little bit of time on the drive in the past few years here, I mean, most stores, especially like a, a, a domestic store, you know, an advisor has so many processes that they have to go through to get a customer written up. You know, if the dealer group has none of their own, there's still, you know, four or five different things that the advisor has to do through the computer in order to get that customer 
written up, taken care of into the waiting room. I, and I think it has a tendency to sometimes, uh, it depersonalizes that service experience. Uh, is that something that you guys have noticed over the years and how do you combat that with your advisors? Oh, uh, Casey, absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, the advisor for a while had, had just turned into a big administrator because it was, you know, all their little uh, check rules that they had to follow to, to make a repair order compliant. And, and again, I, I, I agree with if, if someone else is paying the bill, it has to be compliant. But we, we, we kind of lost focus on, on what their true role is. Um, what I've tried to do here at Walker is to remove any roadblocks for them. All of our service advisors use tablets so they can actually go right to the car with the customer or they can bring the tablet back to their desk, uh, plug in an adapter and, and, and use the full-size monitor. Big fan of any technology that um, through our uh, internal DMS system, uh, we have an internal uh, texting application. So if a special order part comes in. Once we've opted in the customer, they're already notified. We can schedule an appointment. We have uh, apps on our smartphones. The advisor can take pictures, send it to the customer with an estimate. Again, whatever we can do to speed up their process and, and remove any, any roadblocks from outdated technology. That's 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 the biggest thing is where we're going, believe it or not. I, every couple of months, I'm checking out our Wi-Fi speed just to make sure there's nothing that could potentially s slow them down. So, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I know in so many dealers, the, the phone just completely controls the advisor's day. And I think that, that text messaging is, is such a great way to get around some of that. The two aspects that I, th I think that are so important are like um, online scheduling and stuff has gotten so much better over the years, like X time, you know, and stuff has really helped out with that. And then now being able to communicate with customers through text, which is a medium that a lot of customers prefer anyways, you know, it seems like it's alleviated some of the stress that that phone brings to their, their daily hustle and bustle. Uh, absolutely. There's, you know, it was just, there was so much lumped on our advisors that they forgot what their real true meaning was, which was, you know, take care of that customer service, their needs. And as well as, um, you know, provide them with a great experience, but make sure if they need a set of tires, if they're uh, behind on their preventative maintenance, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we are a for-profit organization. That's not a dirty word. So we got to make sure the people that are our performers, you know, have the ability to actually help earn a profit. Now, have what's, what's been your experience implementing some of those new things? Because I know I've, I see a lot of stores where, I mean, there's, every store has got a, you know, three or four advisors, they've got, you know, the old veteran in the back that just as soon do things the way he's always done it. You got the newbie that's just starting out and trying to acclimate to everything at once. Like, how do you manage the, all those different tools and processes and make sure that the guys are actually utilizing them and, and helping themselves with the, uh, the, the technology provided? 
Well, the biggest thing is 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 training. So I, I spend a lot of one-on-one time with, with all of our service advisors and managers to, one, make sure they understand it. I use the same technology they do. So if they have a question, they have a, a gee, I don't know how something works, I'm going to stand right there next to them and, and, and we'll do it together. But also I, I want to show them really how it will make their job easier. And if their job is easier, in theory, they should be able to make more money. And since my time here at Walker, we introduced a lot of technology that didn't exist. You know, I take a lot of pride over the last couple of years. I've had many employees come up to me and go, wow, thank you. I made the most money I ever made last year. Or I'm really enjoying the the the, the way my job has progressed. We've you know, promoted people internally. Um, because they buy into the system and then the rewards come with it. And that makes it so easy, Casey, is when they can see us, for lack of a better word, they can see us winning at whatever objective or target we're doing, where that makes the buy-in so much simpler when they get that little taste of success. Yeah, that makes sense. So leading by example and just making sure that, that, you know, you're not just an outside observer saying, hey, follow the rules. Like you're using that same technology on a daily basis. You're versed in it. You can help them with it if they're having trouble. Just just immersing yourself in the process rather than just laying it out and saying, everybody needs to do this. Yeah, because uh, you know, to, to be a leader, you, you want to be able to show them the, the benefit of, hey, how is this going to help me? And then stand shoulder to shoulder with them while, while you're doing it. So they, they can see that. And I think most people, uh, you know, respect that, you know, we do have our checks and balances, of course, you know, we can, you know, check and see, uh, you know, if a multi-point at a certain mileage doesn't have a recommendation. So again, by, by no means is it perfect, but we have the tools in place that every day allow us to coach and counsel when, when somebody kind of skips a few processes and it's like, well, Hey, uh, you know, yesterday you inspected four cars over 50,000 miles and you had no recommendations. Okay. What happened to you yesterday? Because the day before you were a rock star. So it's constantly encouraging them to be better. Ah, makes sense. So here's a, here's a question for you. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, you, how many technicians do you have in your, in your dealers that you manage? We've, we've got a 125 plus. Wow. Okay. So you've got a bunch of different types of people and different personalities, different work ethics and stuff in that group. How do you incentivize your, you've always got the big, you know, the heavy performers that get their hours in no matter what, right? How, how does, how do you incentivize your other technicians? You know, the guys that routinely are like, you know, 38 hours, 44 hours, you know, they're, they're there, but they're not really making the most of it. How do you incentivize those guys to, to push harder? Sure. So, yeah, you make a great point. So, you know, we're always going to have our rock stars. And again, we, we appreciate those guys, man. We need them. So we, we encourage them and pat them on the back. They're always going to get their hours. I, I try and spend most of my time with either our 
underperformers or our average performers and try and figure out why. Is it is it training? Is it lack, lack of motivation? So what we try and do is, is come up with monthly spiff contest. So maybe it's uh, at, at the Toyota store this month, it's cabin filters with a fridgy fresh application. Maybe it's a driveline service where we do a, you know, front differential, rear differential transfer case. And, hey, we're going to put an extra spiff on that. Uh, we also spiff our guys for use of technology. So the, the technicians also have an ability on their smartphone to take pictures uh, for upselling, you know, recommended maintenance or repairs. So we come up with different spiff programs with, for them to keep them motivated, uh, keep it a little different. Uh, you know, besides money, we'll, we'll do, um, you know, we'll do pullovers, we'll do barbecues, you know, we'll try and really keep it interesting and keep it fresh because what I find is too many people do is they just do the same old, Hey, we're going to do this and let's have a pizza party. Uh, yeah, man, pizza parties went out like 10 years ago. So (laughs) we hit our goals on barbecue and steaks and we got a cooler or a beer after work. So, uh, it, it incentivizes, we try and keep it fun because at the end of the day, you know, this is the car business. It, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. The rules change every day. You know, it's a hundred degrees outside. You got to go out and get a car. You know, there's, you know, the, with all the COVID shut down and can't get parts. There's, there's always something. So I try and do my best to keep everyone happy, keep them motivated. Uh, you know, earlier today, we made sure our managers walked through our shops and made sure everybody either got a popsicle or an ice cream sandwich or something just to, you know, hey, t- let's take five minutes and just we appreciate all that you do. And, you know, I, I find it's those little attentions to detail that people really appreciate. Oh, Absolutely. So I guess uh, one of the things that I'm wondering, like looking forward is, you know, as BG guys, we focus so much on the advisors and, and, you know, sometimes we're guilty of, of viewing the advisors as our one and only shot to sell something. Technicians still play a huge role in, in getting services sold and things like that. Do you see that, that dynamic changing at all over the past 10 years and looking forward? I mean, do you think it's more advisor heavy or tech heavy at this point? Uh, I, I think as far as the, uh, the recognition and things like that, I think it's, it's still very advisor heavy just because they're, they're the face, you know, when, when we're running reports, we're running advisor performance reports, you know, we want to see, Hey, you know, how many, uh, coolant services that Joe sell this month or how many fuel induction services. Yeah, we're still going to spiff our technicians, but a lot of times we're more focused on the, on the frontline guys. Mm-hmm. I think we need to somehow shift back to the guys actually doing the work. You know, it's, it's great that so-and-so sold it, but let's not forget about the guy actually doing it. So sometimes it's coming up with something, uh, you know, extra for them or something uh, special for them because, uh, you know, good technicians are hard to find. Uh, Realizing that 
more so here in the South, just because I don't have the option of a Metro Detroit area. So we're, we're taking out of our high school kids, training them up to, uh, you know, be maintenance technicians. And then from there, seeing if they can progress to some type of journeyman or, uh, you know, a, a master tech status one day. Yeah. I, if, if, you know, any of us BG guys, I mean, had a dollar for every time someone asks us if we know any techs that are looking to change, you know, I mean, <laughs> we'd all be rolling in it. Do you see that, uh, the growing your own technicians as being the, you know, the way forward for you guys? Yeah, it, it really has to be. So we've, we've partnered with a couple uh, local high schools. Uh, we do recruiting visits out to the uh, technical colleges like UTI, uh, but we are really focused on the, the high schools. Uh, we've got two local high schools that have some pretty solid automotive classes because what, what I see potentially happening is, you know, we have our veteran technicians who are coming towards the end of their careers when they decide to leave besides the the physical talents all of that knowledge goes with them and it's trying to figure out how we can utilize their skill sets and help have them help us teach the next generation of, of you know auto techs to come in so what we've been doing is partnering up some of these, for lack of a better word, some of these kids with some of our veterans, allowing them to use their productivity to individually turn them more hours to make them more money. And our benefit is, is they're learning that skill set that, you know, unfortunately you won't learn overnight as a technician. You know, we can, we can, give an advisor a computer, show them how to run a program, go through some training. You, you, you can get a, a rookie advisor you know, up and running in a couple months. You know, technicians take years of cultivating and you know, making sure they're going to you know, make that investment in their willingness to learn. So. so it sounds like, you know, keeping the, the, technicians motivated and happy and feeling appreciated is, is a big deal to you guys is, do you see that as being easier or more difficult with the young kids that you're bringing in? And, you know, what, do you have to do anything different to keep them, you know, the generational gap? Is it, does it affect the way that you got, that you have to manage them? Yeah, for sure. Because again, that generational gap, um, you know, those younger kids, man, you gotta, you know, if, if, if they could be on their phones all day playing some kind of video game or doing something, uh, you know, they have a different, you know, mindset, maybe a different work ethic. Not, not that it's bad, but that's how they've been raised. Uh, so, again, we try and keep them entertained, always keep them busy. We have flexible hours because we understand a lot of our younger employees you know, they don't want to work 50 hours a week. They maybe only want to work 30. So we figure out ways of making that happen so that they don't get burnt out, but they can still want to earn a paycheck and to hopefully be inspired by the, uh, the work that they do. But definitely, uh, definitely challenging these days. No, oh, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I mean, like right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, if if the if the kid gets disenchanted and decides he's going to go do something else, I mean, that's that's a big investment you've made in him that is now for nothing. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the you know, the starter set for tools, uniforms, training. You know, somebody leaves you. Obviously, there's um, you know unemployment taxes. So yeah, I mean. You know, we try and do a thorough interview process. We even invite a lot of our potential hires to come shadow for a couple hours. You know, hey, we'll buy you lunch. Why don't you come hang out with us? Let's see if this is something you really want to do. Uh, we, we try and screen as well as we can to uh, avoid turnover because all that does is cost us money and, and we lose production. For sure. You know, I, I, I wonder, so, I mean, there's, you know, different people have different experiences and stuff, but I can, I can pretty much tell you what causes most BG guys to, to eventually fail at what they're doing and find something else to do is, can, is, can you say the same about like technicians and advisors? Do you see like a pattern of behavior when someone starts to do certain things? You're like, uh oh we got to either get this corrected or this person's not going to make it. Yeah. You, you can, you can tell a couple things, obviously their work ethic, you know, are they making sure when they're done with the guest cars, everything done accordingly? You know, obviously if you see some hour production turned down, <clears throat> I, th I think the frustrating thing, especially for a lot of our technicians is, is our manufacturers put so much, policy, so much rules, so much regulation that it almost takes away from hey, their, their, their true task is to fix that car. Instead, well, you fix the car, but you didn't run a printout on it or you didn't clock a certain amount of time. So we're not going to pay you. Well, then, you know, obviously that the manufacturer is not paying us. You know, it's, hey, Mr. Technician, you know, you, you forgot to attach this piece of paper. So this thousand dollar repair, you know, after a while, it starts to wear people out. Uh, oh, know, for sure. You know, technicians who are very good at what they do, <clears throat> excuse me, you have lots of options here in the South. They can go work in the oil fields. They can do a lot of things that, you know what, no, no one cares that you uh, ran a printout on a sheet or you, you know, made sure you ran enough clock time on a computer to get paid for reprogramming on that car. So I know I talked earlier about removing roadblocks for our advisors. I try and do the same thing for our technicians as much as possible to just let, let's make it simpler for them. Instead, we make it so much more complicated that it seems like more of the focus is on the paperwork or the administrative part versus Hey, man, did you really fix that check engine light or is just the paperwork good? Right. The, uh, the, the oil fields and things like that, is that, is that a constant temptation for the guys there? I mean, do you, do you have trouble when they're, when they're booming? I'm sure it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of draw from the local businesses there. It, it is because in the, the oil fields they're they're not worried about, the administrative part, they're worried about, hey, we've got a truck at an oil well that doesn't start. 
And that's all they care about is getting that thing running. Not, well, hey, did you, uh, you know, run the flow chart on the flux capacitor valve? No, he just, <laughs> he just fixed it and now the truck's running and off they go. So. Man, yeah, I could, I could see that being a, a bit of a challenge. So, um, so obviously now you, you've stepped into a couple of positions now where you've got multiple dealerships under your belt. And, um, I'm sure, especially like with the, with the Walker group, like you're walking in, um, somewhat, I mean, I'm sure you did your research, but you're, you know, you're kind of blind to what's going on in the stores at the grassroots level. Like what, what are some of the things that you look at first when you're trying to figure out what's going on in a store? Where's, what are they doing? Well, what are they doing poorly? Like, what are the, what are the challenges that, that we got to address right away? So, you know, one of the metrics I'll take a look at is, um, you know, what are our customer pay hours per RO? Um, warranty to me is, you know, that that's just luck whether there's a recall or the car broke, it doesn't take a lot of talent there. They're going to take mm-hmm. it back to the manufacturer, repairs free. Internal work, same thing. Did they sell a bunch of cars? Now we have some recon work. Did they order some cars? We're doing PDIs. You know, the, the true measure of the health is, is what are we doing for the business that customers have to pay for? Because as cars have been made better, there's less failures. So really, it boils down to maintenance. And the better job you can do educating your customers about maintenance, the, the stronger your bottom line is going to be because that allows you to weather the storms, kind of like how we've been doing with, with COVID. We make sure that our, our guests that are coming in still get the full service, still get the full treatment. While they're here, they get educated on what maintenance is due for their vehicle, what the benefits are, and, and our customer pay is is thriving. It's it's what's really saved us this year because uh, you know a lot of the recalls have gone away. Re- recalls are reprograms. You know, Toyota and Honda just came out with some fuel pump recalls. We'll, we'll probably be doing airbag recalls until we die. There's not a lot of meat on those, you know, where customers are buying $60,000 trucks these days, towing, you know, $25,000, $30,000 boats and $100,000 RVs and ATVs. So we need to educate them why they need to spend $400 changing their driveline fluids to protect their investment. And uh, that's been well-received here. And obviously we're uh, reaping the fruits of our labor. That's awesome. So did you, um, how many, how many rooftops do you have there? We have uh, six different rooftops. Okay. And did you find, uh, did you have to make a lot of changes to the way that maintenance was being sold when you first got to those stores? Yeah. When I, when I first came down, they, they, they did uh, have BG products. Uh, in 2015, they had a total between all the stores, about a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. So they were, they were hardly doing anything, no menus, no process. I mean, zero zippo zilch. 
by the end of 2017, so first first full year in, uh, we got that to a million dollars. Wow! By implementing process and menus and consultations, implementing you know uh, SPIF reward programs and educating our employees on how to educate the customer. And it's been obviously well-received by both, you know, the maintenance that, that allows the car to perform better, obviously educating consumers on protection plan that yes, that, 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 that fluid by the manufacturer says it's good for X amount of time. Oh, by the way, that warranty expires next week. So if we were to do this, you now have some protection down the road against a, a potential future failure. And I think that's still one of the most underutilized portion, but that's something we, we continue to work on every day. I see. So what was the, man, so it sounds like you really had to start from kind of square one in there. Like what was your first, your first initiative? Like when you started to really try to turn around their maintenance business? So the first thing was to, to educate them the, the why. Why do we need to do this versus, hey, we never did that before. So it was doing one-on-ones with them, doing uh, group trainings. We do a, a fixed ops training every Tuesday and Thursday from noon to one. Whoever attends, we buy them lunch. We'll, we'll talk about processes. We'll talk about product training. So it's showing them, hey, here's the benefit of this product. Here's what it'll do for the customer. Here's what it'll do for their vehicle. And oh, by the way, here is your benefit. And making sure that's introduced to our process every time. Uh, you know, obviously our, our, our local uh, BG vendor, uh, distributor, excuse me, uh, was, you know, fantastic at coming in and, and, and training. They obviously had to make a big investment because before the auto group really wasn't doing anything. So I went to them and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to need five of these and 10 of these and 20 of these. And you know, I could see their <laughs> eyes get real big. I'm like, Oh, you know how much that's going to cost? I'm like, yeah. And give me a couple months. And we'll have all that money paid back. Uh, so again, it's, I know they're, uh, they're, they're quite happy with our, uh, our, our results as well. So it's also nice to have a great partner that, you know, when a machine goes down or gee, a, a new vehicle came up for a new fitting we don't have or you know, any any type of support. When we call, they pick the phone up. And that's that's the number one thing I can ask of a business partner is, hey, when, when we're in a jam, just just be there to, to do your best to help us out. And that's awesome. So I had a I had another question for you that has uh, really been a a big part of uh, my sales life in the past you know six months to a year here is um, a lot of dealers right now are looking at effective labor rate and of course applying for uh, a better maintenance rate from the manufacturers uh, is that a process you guys have gone through at your stores. Yeah, we've done that. We've, um, 
taken our uh, customer pay effective labor rates, uh, petitioned the manufacturers that we can to, to raise our warranty rates. You know, effective labor rates, one of those things, it, it can be good, it can be bad. You have to be careful, especially on customer pay. You know, too, too gaudy of a number might, might mean potentially you could be overcharging them. Um, we like to do all of our maintenance services. We're, we're, we're not the cheapest in town, but I'm not the most expensive either. So we try and run our maintenances, you know, middle of the road. But just by adding that um, maintenance type work, especially on cars that uh, the oil change intervals have been stretched out, that's where you're going to make that money back is, is making it up in the volume, doing a lot of maintenance work, keeping that customer coming back. The, the key for me is, is of course, I look at CSI because that's what the, the manufacturer, you know, sometimes uh, rewards the, 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 the dealership on. But I look at our retention numbers. If that customer's coming back and spending money with me, I must be doing something right. I, I look at it the same way. I spend my money, whether it's restaurants or clothes or whatever, with people who one are going to appreciate my business, but also I get that good feeling. I get something back in return. We're, we're trying to do the same thing uh, to all of our Walker customers as well. It does seem like with some of that stuff, um, you can you can definitely get kind of lost in the math and lose sight of of some of the impact of that. You know, like if you're constantly chasing, you know, this $125, $130 effective labor rate, like I think it's it's easy to not really to not realize just how how hard you're hitting customers on a daily basis on some services that they, you know, maybe they've purchased before, maybe they have some point of reference for what that used to cost. And now they're, you know, 20 or 30% more expensive. Um, I don't know. It, it does seem like there's a balance to be had there. Like you got to pay attention to those things, but you also have to realize like, you know, you're not going to win if you're taking advantage of customers. Well, well, for sure. And even, you know, uh, you know, backing up about customer pay hours per hour. If you go into a store and they're barely average in an hour, hey, that's a problem. They're not selling enough maintenance. If you walk into that same store and they're averaging four hours, they might be knocking people's heads off and right. potentially chasing away future business. So you, know, you, you might get them that once, but they might never ever come back. I'd, I'd prefer to just keep them coming back. Now, so in our, in our line of work, especially when we're talking to customers who haven't had a developed maintenance plan in the past, um, overselling is a quite, is something that gets brought up a lot. Like we don't want to oversell. We don't want to, you know, be hitting customers too hard and stuff. Is there a number that, that where that really starts to look suspicious to you? And like, how, how often is that a, is that a problem in, in your experience? Do you, have you seen that a lot with advisors? You know, I have, if, especially if there's not a process where they're just kind of, you know, freewheeling it for lack of a better word, um, so what we try to do is put some mileage recommendations in. 
so we know what we should be recommending and, and why, just so we don't over-recommend or scare somebody off with a $1,000 maintenance quote when maybe it should be just a couple hundred dollars, but then educate them, hey, it's, it's you know, at, at, at this mileage, we're going to do this. I'm going to send you with this information, and the next time you come in, we won't have to do that, but it's going to be time to do something else. So I'm more of let's educate the customer on what's due today, what's going to be due the next time they come in. Hey, Mr. Customer, we're going to send you a reminder. Hey, we'll even send you a coupon. Uh, but it's making sure they are well informed of what's coming up so they're not surprised. I think there's, there's a lot packed into that, that there that, that you brought up. Because uh, we tend to look at mileage recommendations as like, we need to put these in place to make sure that advisors are selling something at these intervals. But it's more than just that. Like you said, I mean, it's it's the mileage recommendations or the dealer's standards of what should be sold when also protect you against the advisor that has a tendency to shoot from the hip, oversell and things. And it it really helps customers forecast their maintenance needs. Um, which is, you know, sticker shock when I come in expecting to spend, you know, $80 on an oil change. And now I'm looking at $600 worth of maintenance. You know, that's, that's a, a sure way to get a bad survey when it's all said and done. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we take our reputation, uh, very seriously. And obviously with the advent of social media, whether it's Facebook or whatever else, Google reviews, I mean, if you. If that customer leaves feeling they got ripped off, besides letting you know about it, they're going to let a thousand other people know it. So to to me, our reputation, our character, those are things we take pretty seriously. So we always want to be above board. Again, if we ever find somebody being a little aggressive, we will sit down and coach and counsel them and just say, hey, how did you, how did we get here when our process and recommendations are this. So. Yeah, that, that social media aspect and, and Google reviews and all that stuff. I mean, do you, do you see that as a, has that complicated things for you guys on a regular basis? Is it something that you actively manage or are you just, do you guys just try to do the best job you can for the customer and expect that that's gonna, that's gonna, you know, mirror those results? Well, we have a, a big social media presence here uh, at Walker. We have uh, one person who's pretty much in charge of that. So they're monitoring Facebook, monitoring our reviews. We do a lot of posting. So whether it's things in service, we'll, we'll post on our Facebook page. It's not necessarily something that we're trying to sell you. We're introducing you to, hey, here's Joe the Master Tech. And here's what Joe likes to do on the weekends. And here's Joe's hobbies. We're trying to use social media, not to necessarily always sell, but to introduce the customer to the people they're going to see at Walker. So that they're feeling a little more put at ease, or maybe they feel like they have a relationship with that person. Um, you know, obviously if, if there is something negative out there, we, we do try and address that right away. Um, 
because that's, that is our reputation. And again, the way the world is going, uh, you know, something can get out on social media pretty fast. So with COVID or a lot of the civil unrest that's going on in our country, we always want to make sure that we're, we're monitoring what, uh, what customers are posting or even potentially what our employees are posting. Yeah. We've had a couple problems with that recently, <laughs> but I think that's, that's a good way of looking at it. It's like, you know, it's, it's not always a sales tool as sometimes it's, it's good to just show customers that there's, you know, that this, this company is made of real people, you know, and it probably changes the way that they interact with you guys. You know, it, it is. Uh, last year, Walker celebrated their 100th year anniversary of, of being one family. So we celebrated by doing different initiatives each month last year. And they were all give backs to the community. So whether it was uh, donating 100 box fans, it was donating backpacks to underprivileged children, it was doing lunches, it was showing up and uh, planting flags at the cemetery, cleaning gravestones. Hey, we're Walker. We, we live here. We want to give back. So hopefully we do that good enough to build that relationship so that customer wants to continue doing business with us, not just because we take care of them, but, hey, man, we live here. This is our community, so we're going to do whatever we can to, to make it better. That's awesome. So I, I was going to ask you, um, so at the, at your former dealer group, uh, anybody who's lived in Michigan uh, is probably at any point is, associates LaFontaine as home of the, the 995 oil change, the LaFontaine family deal, Absolutely. which was a really bold strategy that, I mean, it brought a lot of business your guys' way. Is that something that they implemented like during your tenure there, or did you kind of walk in as that was happening already? Well, when I walked in, they had they had just started it, and this was before they really started to grow. So when I walked in, we had um, four dealerships, and when I left, oh, we had wow. sixteen. <laughs> so it was there, but it really didn't take hold until we built uh, the, the new uh, Cadillac Buick GMC uh, in Pontiac at the time. Uh, and then they went out and purchased a Chrysler store, got some Ford stores, got some more import stores, and just introducing all of those customers to that 995 oil change. So so there's, there's good and bad. The bad is you open yourself up to repairing vehicles that, you know what, probably aren't worth the 10 bucks, but because you advertise, that, you know, they're going to come in, you're going to service them. You make a recommendation. You just have to understand that, that, that may not be a good chance of, of getting anything other than the $10 on that. The good is it exposes you to so many other people that might not give you that chance because that oil change is normally thirty or forty dollars, they're coming in, and it again allows you to introduce them to the dealership, give them a great experience. Oh, by the way, you know what? Here, here's a quote, cool Mister Customer, on some tires. I know you came in for the ten dollar oil change, but 
we live here in Michigan. It's about to snow in a couple months. You're going to need some tires. And oh, by the way, here's some recommended maintenance we would suggest based on your mileage. Um, so that 995 oil change gave us a lot of at-bats that we probably wouldn't have had before, allowed us to you know, produce some phenomenal numbers as well as assist in selling more vehicles. Because if they keep coming to us, they're eventually, hopefully, going to trade that car in and, and get something new. Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said, that was, that was a bold strategy. But, man, you you couldn't live up there without knowing that you guys had a 995 oil change on pretty much anything. Was it was it anything that rolled through the door or was there restrictions on it by vehicle? Anything other than, you know, maybe if there was a diesel restriction or maybe a Corvette that took a, like a mobile one. But if you took a conventional oil, it was 995 plus tax. And we used factory filter, factory oil. So so on average, we probably lost 15 to $20 every oil change. So we had to make it up with preventative maintenance, tires, other things like that, because we knew going in, Every oil change, we lost 20 bucks. We, we got to f- get that revenue back someplace else. It was all the more important that, you know, you had processes in place and followed those. Is that where you really uh, perfected that that type of a strategy? Yeah, because that that is a good thing. It, it forced you to financially make sure your processes are adhered to. Because we had a lot of other dealer groups try and copy it. But if their processes weren't strong, they, they, for lack of a better word, they couldn't stomach the losses. Like, oh my gosh, we lose $20 every oil change. And in six months, we've lost this amount of money. Well, you're not looking at it right. You, there must be something wrong in your process. Because if you're providing good service, providing value and other things, you should be able to make that money back fast. So... Uh, a lot of people copied it. Unfortunately, they didn't didn't have the stomach for it, and uh, it, it worked very well for us. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I've seen some other stores that have tried to implement something like that, and it seems like e- they either would, you know, like you said, they just didn't have the stomach for it, and it would kind of fall on its face pretty early on, or you'd get the overselling extreme where they're just pounding customers that come through the door. Is that, was that something that you had to watch more closely in that environment because of the pressure of, of making up for, for that oil change or not, not really any different than any other circumstance? Well, you always had to be mindful of it just because, you know, that, that customer is educated. So they're already thinking, Hey, I'm coming in for an oil change for 10 bucks. What's the catch? So we had to make sure our consultative approach was just that versus trying to really, you know, push their their head into the hood to buy something. We had to be very much more um, informative and coaching about their car versus high pressure sales tactics where they just would have paid their $10 and left and never come back. So it's with, with that type of customer you know, and, uh, no different than, uh, you know, if you're doing a, a recall campaign right now, you're sending out postcards to customers, hey, come in for your free recall. 
you still have to be careful with those customers because yes, they're coming to you to get something done, but in the back of their mind, they're okay. When, when's the sales pitch going to happen? So you have to right. be, be gentle with it, be very informative. Hey, Mr. Customer, we haven't seen your car in a few years. We just did a courtesy multi-point. Here's a couple of things we found. Here's some estimates and, and just throw that out there. And, you know, if they ask questions, great. If they say, well, thank you very much, you know, we would, we will follow up with them in a week or 10 days, but we, we try and avoid any high pressure sales tactics because then they're just going to go, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen and I'll never be back. Yeah. I've, I've bought one of those timeshare weekends before. So similar sort of experience. <laughs> so, uh, I guess, um, the other question I had for you, especially being that you're, you know, so focused on process, COVID has really forced uh, the industry as a whole to change and adapt and try some new things. So there's a lot of stuff being thrown around now, um, you know, help kiosks where customers can really, you know, take care of a lot of their basic needs, sort of pre-write themselves up for, for their service visit without you know, talking to an advisor or something. I know pickup and delivery is another thing that's really popular with certain dealer groups right now. Um, what what do you think we're going to see after, like assuming that at some point this all sort of dies down, where, where do you see the changes staying in place after COVID is gone? Well, I think it's going to be more driven to the online business, kind of like what it is now, uh, the, the pickup and delivery, you know, once, once you expose to that, that customer, some of these things that maybe didn't exist before on an everyday basis, I think as, as a, as a retailer, it's going to be very difficult to try and pull those back. And, and for us, that's, that's easier. I, I would much rather go and pick somebody's car up, not have them, you know, pacing in our waiting room, have them comfortable sitting at home or at work. That gives us the time to perform the work they need, evaluate their car. Again, with, with tech, the advent of the technology that we have, you know, when that car is done, shoot them a text message. Hey, Mr. Customers, a copy of your invoice. You know, how would you like to pay? Send them any recommendations. So, so I think the the, the pickup and delivery aspect, the, the, the touchless service from the customer. You know, we've, we've looked at some of those, uh, those kiosks. Um, not, not for us right now. I, I definitely could, could see a benefit in that. Um, you know, I'm still a big believer right now in the, the, the human aspect, even though we might not actually see the customer, we're, we're still communicating with them via phone, text, email. Um, I think COVID has probably changed our business forever. Uh, we actually reduced our hours, obviously, to protect our employees, protect our customers. We had some state mandates. We're, we're considering keeping these hours permanent. Where six months ago, if you would have said, hey, we're not going to be open Saturdays anymore, people would think you're crazy. Now it's... We haven't missed a beat, but business is better because we're able to be more efficient scheduling our customers, getting them in. 
you know, we, we trimmed our start time back from 7 a.m. to 7.30. Haven't missed a beat. Customer feedback's been positive. The biggest win is with the employees. Hey, we just cut out two and a half hours of your working week, and you're still turning the same amount of hours you did before. If you pull the Saturday, hey, we just eliminated a, a six-hour Saturday shift. Go enjoy your weekend. So that's that's boosted a lot of employee morale, which I think has has spilled over in dealing with our customers. No, oh, that's that's a that's a great point, and that's one that uh, I feel like the you know the industry as a whole is headed for some sort of a. a you know, a shift point in terms of hours. Cause the, the amount that some dealer employees are working, it's, it's insane and it's just not sustainable for most people. And like I said, I, I think that's part of why defection is such a hard thing for dealerships in terms of their employees is there's just not a lot of people, you know, especially people, you know, my generation that want to work 65 or 70 hours a week, you know, no way. Uh, you know, people want to enjoy life. They, you know, the, the, the days of working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yeah, those 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 days are gone. You know, te- technology has allowed us to be more efficient. And and as leaders and, and and things, we need to kind of break old habits. And the the dealerships have been notorious for not liking to be flexible. Well, we have to be flexible because if not. We're not going to be able to retain our key employees as well as even our customers. You know, we, we have to be flexible in the way we approach our business, our hours, our process. I mean, what works today, boy, that might not work tomorrow based on uh, 2020. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> the truth. Well, in closing here, um, you know, you've dealt with a lot of different BG guys over the years. Uh, what is it that makes, uh, you know, from from our perspective, because there's a lot of us, you know, whenever we, we hear somebody like you, you know, talk about these things, we're, we're taking notes, you know. And what, what do you look for in a vendor? What makes someone stand out as a, as a BG guy, in your opinion, as opposed to just being like another guy that kind of runs through the shop and stocks shelves and, you know, is nice to talk to, but doesn't bring a lot to the table. What I'm looking for, Casey, is someone who is genuinely interested in my success. If, if that vendor, if that BG rep brings the value, because anybody can go put a can on a shelf, just like, Anybody can go change somebody's oil. I, I want a partner that if they're invested in my success, by, by default, they will become successful. So I look for somebody that that when they come out, hey, just, just wanted to make you aware there's a new product coming down the pipeline. Or, hey, so-and-so dealership group tried this particular contest. Man, they hit it out of the park. Or... Hey, we're starting to see some product issues on this particular car. Um, I, I want someone who's going to you know, bring value, bring that education, something that's going to try and make me better. Because then if I get better, I sell more product. More product makes that 
distributor more successful. So I think if there's more of a, a, a partnership mentality versus, hey, man, I'm here to, uh, you know, drop off a couple of cans of Fridgy Fresh. If, if they want to show that genuine interest in helping that service and parts department succeed, that's what builds the relationship because I've had many people that I, I consider friends that, that started out because they, they cared about the success and we were able to, to build upon that and, and have a good working relationship. And, you know, again, if we succeed, you succeed. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with me, Todd, and appreciate, you know, your business and stuff over the years. Um, you know, if there's ever anything we can do to help, don't hesitate to reach out. And you definitely need to come tour the new facility at some point here soon. Casey, I uh, look forward to that. And again, it was my pleasure. And say hi to uh, Darren for me and, and Peter and all, all the guys back in uh, Wichita. And we'll, uh, we'll be able to get up there one of these days. All right. Sounds good, Todd. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you soon.